Hey, I want to welcome everybody um, to Fountain Springs. And so I want you to know something. These past couple weeks, I've actually been able to go to our other campus. We actually have a prison campus. And so I've been able to go there these past couple weeks, and I'm telling you, it is some of the, man, the most incredible moments I've ever had. Because you see these guys come in, and you literally see the Bible played out. Us as a church reaching out to these guys and just watching them be able to feel like they're loved, they're cared for. So church, if you would, I just want to say a welcome to all the fellows at RCMU and all the teams over there. Thank you guys so much for being part of our church and letting us come in. It's awesome. I love it. So we're in a series called Voices, Um, talking about all the voices in your head. Now, I'm not telling you you're crazy. We all have them. We all deal with them. Um, The last couple weeks, we've talked about fear. We've talked about shame. Both of those are very hard, very difficult to wrestle with, but they also keep us from having a good relationship with God if we're not careful. And this one today is the same way, and this voice is worry. I think all of us in here can kind of relate and go, yeah, I've worried about something. I've worried about something too much. Now, to give you an example of someone who worries, best example, the backseat driver. Some of you are already nudging people, looking at people, yeah, you're that guy, or you're that girl, like, stop it. And it's annoying for all of us who are driving. We're like, seriously, do you want to drive? Like, what is the problem? Now, growing up, my dad was a police officer, so he had a very um, specific way with a bunch of rules of how all of us should be driving, including my mom (laughs) and uh, his three sons. And so I will never forget going through those moments, being 16 and being scared to death of what my dad was going to say while I was driving. Because I was just anticipating it. Like, oh, shoot, I stopped too early. Is he going to say anything? Oh, I didn't turn my turn signal on. Now, one of my favorite things about my dad was this saying. If, he got, if we got too close to a car, he would say this. Hey, what are you trying to do? You trying to breed him? <laughs> and there would be moments where I'd be like, Dad, you, that's so weird and disturbing. I, I get your point, I will break, I will get off their tail a little bit, but my goodness, that's a little extreme uh, on some levels. But I have to give my dad some credit, um, all of our family have actually been really good drivers, like very few accidents, very few um, speeding tickets, all those things, <laughs> but it's just funny to watch my dad walk through that. That's why he drives most of the time whenever we go somewhere, because we're like, uh, we, don't, we don't want him in the back, it's going to go bad. <laughs> But all of us in here, we can relate on some levels of somebody who worries or we are the person who worries all the time. And I would argue all of us in here have worried about something, whether it be our future, whether it be relationships, whatever the case may be, we've worried about it. And research is showing this. Worry does not do anything to help your life. If anything, it hurts your life. There's this one doctor. His name is Dr. Robert Leahy, the author of The Worry Cure. Seven Steps to Stop Worry from Stopping You. And he's the director of the American Institute of Cognitive Theory in New York City. There you go. Full, he's qualified to talk about this. Um, and so, here's what he says. People who worry activate a hyper-vigilant strategy of worry and think that, if I worry, I can prevent this bad thing from happening or catch it early. Basically, they think if they do not worry, things might get out of hand. And I love this. The worrier's credo is that if you can simply imagine something bad happening, it is your responsibility to worry about it. Some of us has owned that credo. It's like, yes, totally speaking my language. 
Now, the researchers at the University of Idaho and Counseling and Testing Center say worry is the act of continually repeating the same thinking pattern over and over. When we worry, we are in the midst of repetitive thinking, but it never resolves the situation. We only think it might. So think about this. Insanity definition is doing the same thing over and over and over again, but thinking a different outcome will come out. So worry, insanity might be together. I don't know. Let's throw that out there. All right. Researchers say worrying affects our daily life so much that it interferes with the appetite, lifestyle habits, relationships, sleep, and job performance. Many people who worry excessively are so anxiety-ridden that they seek relief in harmful lifestyle habits such as overeating, cigarette smoking, or using alcohol and drugs. Now, all of that, you're just like, well, that's intense and horrible to hear. Because I think if you're like me or you're a human being, all of us have moments where we've been scared to death and worried about what's going to happen next or what we should do next. I remember one moment specifically um, that happened recently in our lives where my wife Tina and I, we were, <laughs> we were getting ready to kind of move our kid into daycare because we both wanted to work and we were like, okay, well, let's figure out this daycare thing. I grew up a daycare baby, all right? Like I was totally fine with this idea. My wife, however, she was a little bit, because she wasn't the daycare baby. And so she's a little bit nervous about this, all that kind of stuff. I'm thinking, hey, we're just going to try one out, see how it goes, won't be that big of a deal. But as I got into the midst of this, I realized, oh, this is a lot bigger deal to my wife. This is a huge deal. And so as we're picking a place, I'm just like, hey, let's just pick one. Let's just go with it. She's like, no, it's got to be the right one. It's got to be the perfect one. And of course, during that week, that was all the stories about how these daycares were just like destroying kids. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is awful. This is the worst timing ever. And then eventually, eventually, we picked a place. And my wife, of course, was always like, I'm going to take her there. I'm going to pick her up. I want to make sure that it's the right place. And so the whole week, she's doing that. And I'm asking her, hey, how did it go? How did it go? Um, and it was, she would say, well, it went okay. It seemed like she had a bad day. And that was like the report every day. And I was like, really? Really? Are, are you sure? Like, it's that bad. So then I decided, okay, let me take her this week. And that's when I experienced it. That moment when you drop your kid off somewhere and you watch them almost hide in a corner because they're scared. She is scared to interact with the friends, interact with the teachers, all those things. And my daughter, she does something like this. She will suck on her fingers and hold on tightly to her blanket and stand in a corner. And it broke my heart. I didn't want to leave. And I was calling Tina on the way to work because I was like, Tina, how do you do it? How do, you, how do you go through this? I just want to go grab her and be like, come on, let's just, let's just go to work today. You know, let's just let's come with me. But the reality is, Emma had to go through a pretty big moment for herself, learning to kind of be with new people. And, and eventually, I mean, now when we take her to daycare, because it's been about, I don't know, a year, and she goes in and just sprints to her class. And it's like, oh, okay, bye. Like, all right, see you later. Like, she has built this trust. She loves her teacher, loves her friends now. But going through that was so hard. And I would argue in the midst of those moments, those moments of uncertainty, it defines so much. Because we'll either let worry take over or we'll let trust take over. So sit on this statement for a little bit. Moments of uncertainty will either lead to worry or to trust. Because if you think about it, in all relationships, this is true. 
Because you think about the first time you said I love you to someone. You were pretty, that was a pretty uncertain moment. And you were hoping the I love you was coming back so trust could be built. If it didn't, worry was going to set in real quick. You all giggle because you know it's true. And so all these moments, in any relationship, dating, um, marriage, kids, all that kind of stuff, these are so true because the moments of uncertainty will either define your relationship full of trust or worry and take that into our relationship with God. If we always worry about what he's going to do and worry about this and worry about that, the reality is we may not be trusting him. And so that's why the definition of worry is key. I want to show you this. The definition of worry simply says this, the sin of not trusting the promises and power of God. God sees worry as a sin. Now let me clarify. All of us have in here moments of uncertainty. But that's different than going down the road of worry. Because worry is a whole other level to where you start kind of putting this blockade around you and you're saying, I'm not going to move anywhere. I'm not going to take a step. You may be very uncertain about something, but you still move forward in relationships. See, what worry does, it cripples you. It just makes you stay right there. And the reality is, you guys actually know this to be true. Think about those relationships where you feel like someone worries about you constantly and there's no trust. Some of the teenagers in the room are going, amen, what? Parents are like, well, you need to earn it first. Um, I know those conversations. Yeah, they're fun. But that's what I say. It's the sin of not trusting the promises and power of God. Because God looks at this and goes, I want to have an amazing relationship with all of us in here. All of us. But what keeps us from that is worry. Now, the one thing that fights that is us trying to retrain our brains in this. So let me give you an example. This is kind of how, and this will take this guy, Scarecrow, all right? Now, all of us kind of know the function of a Scarecrow. Scarecrow is you put it up to hopefully keep the birds, animals away from the crops that you're trying to grow. Now, the funny part is, the whole goal is to make some kind of looking like a human being to scare them away. But if the birds were to retrain their minds they would actually realize that this scarecrow is actually a tip-off to where the good crops are, where the good stuff is. But the reality is, is man, a lot of birds get scared, or you got some really smart birds that figure it out. Now play that into our lives. I truly believe worry functions like a scarecrow in our lives. When it becomes that sin that God's saying, I want you to do this, or maybe in relationships, you're trying to move forward, and the reality is, is you're so scared, worry has taken over, that voice has consumed your life, that you're like, I can't do it. I can't move forward. I can't take the steps. I'm just going to stay right here. The reality is, if we retrain our brains, worry has no power over us. I mean, I already showed you the research it does nothing to help us. Nothing. And so there is this scarecrow in our lives, this voice in our lives called worry that I think cripples us all the time. So then the question goes, okay, Todd, how do we retrain my mind? How do I retrain it? Fascinating part, there's a verse in Philippians that I want us to read. It's Philippians 4, chapter 8. Here's what it says. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true 
and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The funny thing is right before this verse, it talks about in all anxiety, pray. Cast your cares on the Lord because what is Paul's trying to teach us here is saying, hey, fix your thoughts on what is right. Retrain your brain. Don't let the worry take over. So some of you might be thinking like me, like, well, how do we do that? I mean, that sounds great on paper, but how do we do it? And I'm gonna walk you through a story today. It's the story of Moses, who this man went through so much in his life. And it's amazing to see where he started in his relationship with God and how it grew. But it grew because of so many moments of uncertainty, and he had to learn to kind of retrain his brain retrain his mind how to walk out worry and go more towards, okay, God, I'm gonna trust you. I'm not just gonna worry about these situations. So story of Moses is simply this. He is, at this point, he grew up in Egypt but has left Egypt because he kind of did a horrible thing. He killed somebody in the midst of his anger and he was trying to protect an Israelite but one of his own people but got to out of hand, killed somebody, And so he was scared somebody was gonna find out about it, so he ran. And so he's been in the wilderness now for a long time, and specifically in the wilderness, it was called Mount Sinai. So he's at this mountain, he's he's got a family now, he's all those kind of things, and then all of a sudden, God changes his life forever. It's a story that some of you may have heard in Sunday school to where all of a sudden this burning bush came up and Moses is like, what is happening right now? The bush is talking to me. This is getting weird. Um, And in the midst of that, God is saying, hey, I want you to go to Egypt and take all the Israelites out and bring them here. I want you to see what Moses said in return because I think many of us probably respond like this. But Moses protested to God, who am I to refer to appear before Pharaoh. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. I want you to catch that that last part, verse 12, God is giving Moses a promise. He says, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. And then he says this, when you get done, you will worship at this very mountain and all the Israelites be with you. Now, for most of us in here, I think we would have been like, yeah, but I don't know. You're saying it. I'm not quite sure. We wrestle with the same thing. That moment when you first accepted Christ, you were probably like, when it first heard you, many of you have probably wrestled with this. Some preacher says, hey, you should believe in God. And you're like, "Mm, I don't know. All those things naturally happen. We wrestle with the promises God has given us. God promised he would have a plan for us. God promised he has given us eternal life if we choose to believe him. God gives a ton of promises, just like he gave Moses. But I think all of us in here, there's that moment of uncertainty. Okay, well, is it true or not? And I would argue the only way to walk that out is if you walk the trusting piece out, not the worry, because if you just worry about it, it goes nowhere. So, Here's the first thing we have to do to retrain our brains. First thing. Number one, change our thought process is this. I will do what God asks. Whenever God asks you to do something, you will simply go, okay, Lord, I will do it. 
Now, I say that, and all of you in here may be going, that's not easy. Right, I know that. Even Moses, I love this, after God had said, hey, I want you to go this, and he makes this promise. Here's what, here was Moses' next response. I love this. Exodus 4.1, here's what it says. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Many of us have probably had this moment too. Hey, go be the leader at your job. Go be the leader at the school. Go be the leader at home. And you go, but... Um, what if they don't listen to me? What if everyone just says I'm crazy? We start playing this what if game. Moses did the same thing. Now, I want to pause here, and I want you to think about this what if game. Think about it. It's actually a very horrible game. It's horrendous. Here, let me give you the rules to this game. All right, here you go. Rule number one, you're only allowed to think about the worst case scenarios. Number two, you are never allowed to win this game. I repeat, rule number two is this, you are never allowed to win this game. Already a stupid game. You can only lose. And number three, the more you play, the greater your losses. And all of us in here are like, actually, those are the rules. That's true. And, but we're all guilty of playing the game. All guilty of saying, but God, what about this? What if this happens? What, what if, with if, all these things? The reality is, is God going, I just simply, I know, I'm not going to tell you all the details right now. He did this with Moses. Moses was trying to figure out everything. And you'll notice, as we keep going on here, Moses had to keep wrestling with this. He had his initial moments of like, I'm very uncertain. But the amazing part to me about Moses is he kept walking this out. He didn't let worry freeze him up. So he wrestles with the first part of like, okay, God, you want me to go do this, but what if? And God just kind of destroys it and says, stop playing the what if game. Stop it. And I would say this, if you play the what if game all the time, especially with God or in relationships, you're letting those worries take over God's promises. You're letting those worries take over God's promises. And that's a dangerous place to be. So remember this. Stop playing the what if game, and I would even change it to help you. Change the what if to even if. That will help you be able to take this next step. Okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. Even if this happens, even if that happens, even if this happens, I will keep taking steps forward. Because what does that communicate? Communicates you trust him. Communicates in a relationship, I trust you. Even if you do this, I'll forgive you because I love you. And we do this all the time with kids. And God's doing the same thing with us. And so we have to learn, stop playing the what if game and turn it more into an even if game. So we train our brains. Simply do what God asks us to do. Now here's the second step. I will give God what I cannot do. I will give God what I cannot do. Now some of you will probably hate this one because I think it's one of the toughest parts. But I love it because Moses even noticed this. Let me give you the verse that connects with this. It's in Exodus chapter four. It says this. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. I love it. Moses pointing out like, I, I just realized this. God, you asked me to speak to Pharaoh and at first part I'm good, like okay, I'll go do it. And then I, 
had a little moment here and thought, I stutter all the time. How's that going to work? I'm not really good at speaking. And this is why I liked the story of Moses growing up, because in college I felt this way. I was like, God, you want me to be a pastor? Did you hear my speeches in middle school? They were horrendous. Like, why are you asking me to do this? Do you remember that one time I spoke at youth group? Embarrassing. Why? Moses is having the same moment. And I think all of us can connect, but God is trying to tell Moses in this moment, hey, give me what you cannot control. You can't control your stuttering. You can't control your weaknesses. But I can. I'm the one that can take care of all those things. And let's take it even to a bigger level. Think about, talk about your future. Many of us try to control our future, mostly out of worry that it might go bad. Reality is God's saying, don't try to control your future. Let me have it, because I have plans for you. Trust me on these plans. And I could keep going example after example, but I want to give you this picture. There's two boxes that I want to describe. This first one is me. I know it's a small box. Some of you might be thinking, I can handle more than that. All right, calm down, all right? So this represents in life what you can handle, what you can kind of hold on to. As you can tell, it's pretty small. And so let me put this over here right next to the scarecrow. And then I've got these pieces of wood that represent some big moments in your life. So let's represent this as just your relationships. Many of us are worried about certain relationships. Many of us are, have these moments of uncertainty going, God, what do you want me to do with this? How am I supposed to help that person? How am I supposed to deal with this pain? And the reality is we can't control the fact that people decide to hurt us. I always get that question a lot of going, why, why did they do that? And most of the time I have to look at it just as a pastor and trying to help him see this. I was like, I don't know. The reality is, is people hurt people. But the hard part is, is then after that we go, okay, I'll, I'll try to deal with this myself. And it doesn't fit in our box. We're not made to handle this. So then we try to fit it in there and that's when life starts to get way out of hand. And then you add more stuff on top of it. Put in here, like, this is your future. Okay, I just talked about your future. You're kind of like, okay, I have all these plans. I've got all these things. But God, they're not going exactly how I want it to. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to handle this? God, what if this happens? And then we try to put that on ourselves. I'm like, if I do this, if I do this, if I do that, it will work out. And our life starts to look like a wreck. And then this last one, I think, is the biggest one. Death. If we're honest in this room, I think this part scares a lot of us. I know some of you might be young, and the reality is, oh, I don't have to think about that. The reality is, you never know when your day is going to be done, when your life is going to be over. And what we do with our life matters so much. And so as many of us, we worry constantly about this. This keeps us from taking any risk. This keeps us, because we're scared, what will happen? What if I die? What if this happens? What if that person dies? And it's hard for us to wrestle with, but then if you look at this and you try to put this all together, we can't handle all of this. So then God has this big box. Now, this illustration is not perfect because his box would be huge. It's infinitely big. So this doesn't even do its justice, but you'll go with it, all right? So let's take this first one, death. God said, I've taken care of that for you. I sent my son so that you may have life for eternity. 
if you choose to believe me, if you choose to trust me, I will take care of that peace. You don't have to go through life going, well, I guess this is just it. I get my years and then it's over. There's so much more to that if you're willing to trust God. Your future. God made this promise. I have plans for you. If you'll trust me, these plans will be better than you could ever imagine. God says, give me those. Your relationships. God wrote a lot about this in the Bible. He said, hey, I'm going to teach you how to forgive. I'm going to teach you how to trust people. I'm going to teach you how to deal with humanity because I made them. I know how they function. I know how they tick. And I would argue in marriages and families and all that, it takes God being at the center of your marriage, center of your parenting, center of your friendships that make these relationships healthy, make these relationships real. Because I think all inside of us, every single one of us, have a desire to have real relationships, relationships that matter, relationships that have a true impact. And I would say the only way to do that is to give God everything and learn to trust him instead of letting worry take over. So the question then becomes, what box are you putting your stuff in? What box are you putting it in? I love God's response to Moses after he asked this question. Here it is in Exodus 4, 11 through 12. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. Now, don't take this as like the free ticket of like, okay, God will take every, care of everything, sweet. No, 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 remember the first thing you gotta do. You gotta take that first step. You gotta be willing to do what God asks you to do. But the second part is equally as hard as you gotta retrain your brain. Okay, God, I will give you what I cannot control. And many of us in here, we can't control our future. We can't control the diagnosis that the doctor gives. We can't control when we're gonna die. We can't control a lot of things. So we have a choice. Either I'm gonna trust God or I'm gonna worry about it for my whole life. So what are you doing? And then here's the last one. I will trust God no matter what. I will trust God no matter what. Now, I've given you the first two. I actually think this one, it is the toughest in the midst of whatever you're going through. Because for Moses, he finally gets enough courage. He go, okay, I'm gonna walk it out. I'm gonna go do what you simply asked me to do. do. I'm gonna go talk to the Pharaoh, regardless of my stuttering issue. He goes and does it, and the Pharaoh looks at him and goes, I hear you, but I'm gonna make it 10 times worse on the Israelites. It's nothing's changing. I think some of us in here have probably experienced that to where we go, man, I've done what God asked me to do. I'm starting to walk this out, and why is my life not turning around? Why are things not getting fixed? I mean, listen to what Moses said in Exodus 5, and this is after the whole chapter. If you go read Exodus 5, it's pretty much Pharaoh saying, this is how horrible it's going to be for the Israelites. So catch this. Here's what Moses says. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested, why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people, and you have done nothing to rescue them. I think this is probably one of the toughest moments Moses had to walk through. Huge, defining moment of uncertainty in his life. He's looking at God going, God, I've done what you ask. Why is it not changing? Why is it not going around? 
And the reality is Moses wanted it to turn right on his turntable. Like right when it happened, his table is like this should be when it happens. But God had a different plan. And the reality is that some of us need to understand this. God's plan for our life will not fall in regards to how we want it to go. Because God goes, I actually have this plan for you. I want to walk this out. And the reason I'm going to have you walk through some of these things may affect the other people around you. Because if Moses would have given up here, he would have just created this worry and just given up and said, God, I don't want you to ask. If I try to do this again, it's just going to make it worse for the Israelites. We would have never had the stories of him walking out the ten plagues. Never would have had him splitting the Red Sea because he would have let worry take over his life. And so now Moses, in the midst of some horrible situations, watching his group that he loves and cares for being brutally treated, said, okay, God, I don't know how to handle this, but I'm gonna trust you no matter what. A huge faith-defining trust moment in his relationship with God. I would encourage you, as you study Moses, go read Exodus. I know it's a long book, but just watch the story of Moses and watch how his faith and his trust began to grow and grow, and it was moments like this where he had to retrain his brain. Because here's the crazy part. In Exodus 19, verse 1, here's what this says. Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. They are at Mount Sinai, worshiping the Lord, the promise God gave Moses all the way back in chapter three. Two months of walking to this place. Now on top of that, all the time of dealing with the Pharaoh and dealing with all those issues, that's a good amount of time he had to walk through. And I think many of us in here, we get very impatient with God and we let that worry take over. And the reality is if Moses would have, he never would have experienced the promises coming true. Never really realized how good it is to believe in God and trust him. And I think if we take a little moment here, many of us in here struggle with that. God has promised you many things. God has said, if you will start a relationship with him, it will change your life dramatically. You'll be able to walk out things that you can never understand. I can tell you right now, I've seen people deal with cancer. I've seen people deal with death and then walk out of it. And although they would never wish it upon anybody else, they'd also say it was one of the most crucial learning moments in my own relationship with God. I think Moses would tell us the same thing. Life's not always gonna be easy. I actually think the road to worry It's a lot easier. The road to trusting and finding real relationships, that takes work. It takes a lot of hard work. So the amazing part to me also is God says this after um, Moses realized this. He says this to Moses. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the people on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. I think this is powerful for God to speak that into Moses because you recognize there's this moments, moment where Moses goes, God, it happened. We're here. I, I never thought I could do this. And God goes, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians. You've seen how I've carried you. Now let's go on this journey and keep moving forward of trusting each other. 
So the question becomes, where are you in your relationship with God? Does worry consume it to where the relationship has really died on some levels? Are you learning to take these moments of uncertainty and turn them into trust? Because I'm about ready to say a pretty big statement and I want you to kind of, and I'll clarify it, but I want it to sink in a little bit. Here's what it says. What we do with worry determines if we have a relationship with God. Now, some of you might be going, whoa, whoa, whoa. So if I worry, does that mean my relationship with God is over? No, no, no. Let me clarify it. Your level of worry will also determine your level of trust. If your worry is very high, that means your trust is very low. If your worry is low and even almost diminishing because your trust is going through the roof, and trust me, sometimes our life will kind of be up and down on some levels, especially when those moments of uncertainty come into play. What I want you to realize is your relationship is dependent on what you do with worry. How you handle those moments, how you handle the moments of uncertainty determines so many things. Let me give you a quote that I hope kind of even helps us out a little bit more. It's from a guy named George Mueller. He says this, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. You see kind of the issue that you have, this kind of going back and forth of, hey, if I choose this, this will affect this. If I choose worry, it will affect trust. If I choose trust, it will affect worry. Fascinating part about George Mueller is this. He started a bunch of orphanages for all the kids who, were, who didn't have parents back in the 1800s. And the crazy part about him is he never asked anybody for anything. He just said, God, I pray that you'll provide food because I know we don't have enough. God, I pray that you'll provide enough housing because I know we don't have enough. This man was already doing what God was asking him to do. He was giving God what he couldn't control and trusting him no matter what. But the power of his prayers, the power of him recognizing this quote is amazing to me. And I think Moses had this same moment. He goes, man, if I worry about stuff, if I keep protesting to God, I'm showing that I don't trust him. And so I need to start walking this trust out to where I, when those next moments of uncertainty happen, I'm going, God, I know you got this. Help me to believe that. Help me to walk this out. Help me to trust you more and more as these moments come about. If anything, this is a dangerous prayer, you start praying, God, give me moments of uncertainty so that our relationship can get stronger. Dangerous prayer but it could change that relationship with God forever and make it more real than you ever thought it could be. Now, some of you may be wondering, okay, is it worth the fight? Is it worth doing all this? Is it worth fighting worry this much? And I would argue absolutely it is. But I'm gonna tell you, it's a journey. It's not like this destination. God will keep pushing us because he always wants the trust in this relationship because relationships are built on being able to trust each other. Stronger the trust, stronger the relationship. So is it worth it? Absolutely. But I also want to give you a story that I think you'll connect with. A story of a fountain springer who walks so many different aspects of this out that many of us will be, re- be able to relate with. So if you would, watch the screens as this powerful story kind of plays out before you. In 2012, 
Devin was diagnosed with epilepsy. He was having 20 plus seizures a day. The doctors didn't know what was causing them or how to fix them. And he was on all these different medications and nothing was helping. Just to see your child struggle and you feel helpless because there's nothing you can do about it. Three days after Christmas, uh, my aunt passed away and Devin and I both were really close to her and she really was my rock. And it was just all these things one after another, just losing people that meant so much to me. And that's when I got really, really depressed. I had wanted to go to church for years. I just didn't know where to go and I didn't want to go by myself. And I really felt that anywhere Devin and I went to church, we'd be judged because I'm a single mom with a child out of wedlock. I had pink hair at the time, piercings and tattoos, and I'm just thinking no church is gonna want us. In my head, I felt this, you need to go to Fountain Springs, you need to go to Fountain Springs. And the pastor comes out and one of the first things he says was, are you depressed? Are you trapped in this rut? And I'm just like, yes, that's why I'm here. And it just seems so perfect. And he just continued on about this class that they were doing called Freeway and that it was the first week and you just need to get your workbook and it will help you get free. The church service ended and this flood of people comes out and I'm trying to walk out and just my anxiety just starts racing and I see like where you're supposed to go to get this book and there's a woman there and she looks pretty nice so I go and talk to her. I was trying to find a schedule um, where Devin would be in, in school and I didn't have class at the time either and didn't really find anything that worked but there was um, one on Sunday night and the woman there told me that that was her class and so that made me feel a little bit more comfortable and then I asked if childcare was included and she said it was $20 and I broke down. I started crying. I started hyperventilating. I was searching the schedule to try and find a different class time that might work for me and I wanted to walk out and she didn't judge me. She put her arm on my shoulder and she said, this is my class. I'll cover it. Don't worry and take the book. I had the book with me and I sat in my car and I just cried. I just cried for probably about 10 minutes. And then I left and I continued throughout my week and it's like, I don't think I can go. I just don't think I have it in me. I just, they're gonna judge me. I'm just gonna be the only person there like me. And I get an email from this woman saying, hi, I can't wait to see you on Sunday. I'm so excited that you're in my class. I was still really nervous and my anxiety was still through the roof, but I went, it, it changed my life. And it was in, you know, a few short weeks. And I just became like this, just different person. There was the baptism service. Um, I think it was like right after Freeway ended. And I was sitting there with a friend of mine who has um, come to Fountain Springs for a long time. And he invited people on stage to get baptized. And I felt this like pulling, 
like this this pull to go up there and then my friend sitting right next to me like right at that time was like do you want to go up there with me and I, I snapped at her and I was just like no I'm not going up there and she kind of looked at me and just went up anyway and I'm sitting there and watching these people get baptized and I hear this voice and I'd never experienced anything like this before and it was you know I'm real now so accept me and walk with me until you're ready. And so I did. And I said, come into my life and help me walk with you and show me what you want to do in my life. And I don't know if before I started Freeway, if I, I didn't believe in God or if I was just mad at him for everything that I'd been through. But God is real. And he accepts me and he's gonna work through me and I'm so grateful and I know that and I feel that and I'm just so thankful for the freeway class and for Fountain Springs for helping me realize that and helping me see that. Powerful story. And part I love is you see an honest person and you see the journey that she went on to where now you could tell that relationship is becoming more real in her life. Trust me, she had all the scarecrows that many of us can relate with, especially about going to church, about being baptized, our kids, all those kind of things. Reality is, is she didn't do anything crazy. She just said, okay, God, it's yours. I'm tired of handling it by myself. My life, yours. Trust me, it's going to be an ongoing struggle. But if you choose to say, God, I want to trust you and not let the worry take over, you will be blown away by how real your relationships will become. Relationship with God, your relationships with other people. Drastically changes it all. That's why I say we have to start wrestling with, okay, God, am I ready to do that? Am I ready to train my brain to kind of start seeing things differently? To start saying, God, I will do what you simply ask me to do. I will give you what I can't control, and those days will be tough, so be patient with me. And God, when it gets really scary and I don't understand what you're doing, help me to trust you no matter what. If you're willing to walk that out, you'll be blown away by how real, how authentic, how loving a God we have. So here's the question to wrestle with. Are we willing, are we willing to fight worry? Because it's going to be an ongoing battle to where we say, Satan, that voice does not have power over my life. Are we willing to fight worry?